Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In the program this week, the All Blacks and Australia square off in the Tri-Nations for the first time this year. But how much do the wins by both teams over the Springboks tell us? Former Wallabies coach Bob Dwyer gives us his opinion. We preview the National Provincial Rugby Championship. We hear from New Zealand's top road cyclist who's just completed another Tour de France. Black cab Brendan McCullum discusses his future in international cricket. New Zealand hockey captain Phil Burrows talks about the upcoming Champions Trophy. And we remember the first swimmer to conquer Cook Strait. Barry Devonport of the Wersa Bay Surf Club becomes the first man to conquer Cook Strait. The All Blacks are chasing an eighth consecutive win over Australia when the two sides play in Melbourne on Saturday night in the Tri-Nations competition. Both teams have beaten the current world champion South Africa in the three Tri-Nations tests played so far. But former Wallabies coach Bob Dwyer told me that while the All Blacks are favourites, he's unsure just what the results against the Springboks reveal ahead of this latest match. If the Wallabies played very well, we could get a handle on both teams. If the Wallabies didn't play well and New Zealand won well as they did against South Africa, then we can say, well, we don't know where New Zealand are in terms of the all-time greats, but we can definitely say they're on top of the two other top teams in the world at the moment. So we're, we're, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll know more about both teams at the end of this game, I would think. How much of a handle were you able to get on the, the Wallabies with that match against South Africa? I think uh, that Australia took some real steps forward in, in terms of um, the detail of, of their game, um, and I think they were really positive things. Had they... Had they finished off some really good chances, they could have easily got two or three more tries and then that would have really made people sit up and take notice. And those, that lack of finishing can be fixed quite simply with some discussion, a bit of observation and technique detail. So, um, yeah, I, I think I, I, I took a lot out of it. I said Australia uh, did well. They're on the right track, but um, they're certainly not where they need to be yet, but they're heading there. What's happened with the Springboks? Why have they gone off the boil, in your opinion? There appears to be no attention to detail um, in their game at all, and I think the attention to detail is paramount. Uh, they appear to be all over the place, and I'm guessing that some players are past their best. Still good players, but not great players anymore. But when the Springbok line-out starts to fall apart a bit, you, you have to wonder, considering they've had such an outstanding line-out for a few years now. Um, so I don't see any part of their game that's any good at all. And I commented that I wasn't sure just how well the All Blacks had played because of how poor South Africa were. So I said I'll reserve my judgment until I see New Zealand play against a um, good side. How much pressure is there on Robbie Deans? There's not. From my point of view, I, I think I'm a very hard taskmaster. And from my point of view, I don't see him under pressure to win. But I do see him under pressure to continue the accuracy of 
the development of the accuracy of our play. And I think our play's been quite inaccurate for a couple of years, some with the occasional blip upwards, but only the occasional one. Um, but last week I thought I saw some real, um, some real steps forward in terms of numbers at the breakdown, physicality at the breakdown, which Robbie talks about all the time, but which you haven't seen a lot of on the pitch. But last week I thought we saw a lot of that, taking a leaf out of the New Zealand performance. Um, I think our lines of running are much better, but I, and, and that's those two things are the basis for for a game. So we're getting some of our better players back, which which always helps. Um, so I, I think if if the team continue to play well or continue to improve in the fundamentals of the game, then I can see some light at the end of the tunnel, and then I'm happy. But if I see this up-down business with the, with the occasional reasonable performance and then falling down in the basics for the next few weeks, then I think there's no light at the end of the tunnel, and then I'd question it. That's former Australia rugby coach Bob Dwyer. And you're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. The National Provincial Rugby Championship started this week with Canterbury looking for a three-peat of titles. While that may be a bit boring to some, there's plenty of interest in the new format the competition is about to take on. The 14 teams will be split into a top seven premiership and a bottom seven championship next season based on the final standings from this year's competition. That might put some pressure on the likes of Auckland who finished fifth last year and 11th in 2008. They've bolstered their ranks with the arrival of Toby Moreland and Matt Berquist in the halves and the return of Daniel Braid, Ben Artinger and Brent Ward. In the opening round, Auckland play North Harbour in the 25th Battle of the Bridge, with three-quarter Brent Ward back in the side after a stint in France. Murray Williams caught up with him. Been very impressed by uh, the bunch of boys that have probably been in the side for the last two or three years that haven't really tasted any success, but they've really uh, got a really good work ethic and they're really, you know, putting their best foot forward this year to make sure that we uh, that we put a good effort out there and, and make sure that uh, Auckland get in the, back to the semi-finals and uh, finals football where we should really be. Now, what did the game at Dargaville against Northland tell you in terms of your preparations? It was our first sort of hit out that we had our, our best 26 players available and you know we showed really good signs of defence. They were pretty much in that first half attack inside our 22 and we held them out scoreless which was pretty impressive and so I think that we showed good heart there and uh, then in the second half we, we got a few phases together and scored a four good tries. Sunday, the, the Battle of the Bridge at Albany. In the past, some of those games have been uh, pretty torrid. Do you think that sort of heat's gone out of it now that there's not so many top players in those games, or is it still bubbling away there? Well, it's certainly bubbling away for us here at uh, Auckland. We, we want to put a good effort in, and I know uh, North Harbour this year, especially with their 25-year anniversary, will want to be making a, a big effort to get their victory, especially uh, they're making a, a big thing about their anniversary this year. So I think there's definitely going to be a bit of heat on the paddock, and both teams want to start off with a good win for the competition. As far as your own game's you were in pretty good shape when you left. How was the uh, the experience in France? Fantastic. I had a great experience in France. Obviously the rugby's a little bit different, probably a little bit more defensive, so really looking forward to getting back and uh, having a run with the ball. So I'm um, just hoping to uh, make sure that I can step my game up and, and not be disappointing, for, especially for the team. Where do you see yourself fitting into the mix? I mean, you've been a bit of a utility in the past, haven't you? Yeah, definitely at fullback. Oh, that's the, where I think I can offer the most of the team. So hoping to, uh, you know, there's 
bit of uh, pressure on for fullback spot, so I'm hoping to you know get a run around there on uh, on Sunday, and if I if I get that shot, then uh, to perform well. There's some interesting uh, dilemmas, I guess, for Mark in other areas. At, at ten, for example, there hasn't been a strength of Auckland in in recent years, and then you've got um, Matt coming up from Hawkes Bay, and Ash who was starting to look pretty good last year. How do you see that one panning out? Yeah, no, they're putting pressure on each other, which is the main thing that we want. We want to make sure that there's a lot of pressure on spots. They're both performing well in the in the pre-season games, and uh, it'll be interesting to see who actually gets the nod this Sunday. As far as the uh, the forwards go, from your perspective, looking what they're doing up front, how does the pack look to you? Really good. I think that's going to be one of our major strengths this year, and I, we showed again up in Northland that uh, we had about three or four, I think three of our tries were pushovers sort of from the forwards. So we've really got to put a big emphasis on them this year to make sure that they put a good platform for us. So if we can make sure that they get dominant ball and then help the backs out a little bit. What do you make of the new format, the 7-7 the, the split, playing everybody and then going into the uh, Premiership and Championship? It's going to be very interesting, it's going to be very tight. I mean, a lot of teams, as we've seen with the salary cap, you know, it's even the, all the teams out. And so now, I mean, it's going to be a really big battle to find those top seven teams. And you sort of can't really just drift through the competition. You, you know, you've got to perform each week and it's going to be a big, torrid 13 weeks of football. So if we can start well, I think that's going to be key to the season. What do you think when you look at the lineup of talent that teams like Canterbury can call on? There's a list of current or fringe All Blacks and, and the possibility of or Sonny Bill Williams coming into that mix. Wellington, for example, too, also seem to have a lot more depth than and some other teams. Is that a concern or do you think that it's just an opportunity? Oh, I think it's just an opportunity. See, that's what's happened with the salary cap. A lot of players left the Auckland region when they brought in those new teams and uh, it hasn't really been noted. Everyone says, oh, we've got lost a lot of players overseas, but if you look at it, the other teams around New Zealand, there are a lot of them have played for, or been involved in Auckland Club Rugby. They weren't sort of given that opportunity. So it's certainly Canterbury and Wellington have recruited well and, and built their academies and that's what Auckland's really going to try and do over the next few years, put a big emphasis on uh, building our academy to make sure that we keep players within the region. So, yeah, I mean, it's just obviously going to be a, a huge battle to play those teams, especially Canterbury and Wellington this year. Because it's been a long time since uh, other unions have looked at it. Well, not a long time, but several years anyway, since other unions have looked at Auckland and thought, where do they get all those guys? People forget pretty quickly where, where some of these guys have played. You know, they play their super rugby and then everyone thinks they've come from that region. But uh, if you look at a few of the All Blacks that have been uh, named over the years, um, you know, Mossy Tuili, Sonia Lawaki, there's a whole range of boys that have been picked up from outside uh, the Auckland region. And that's, I mean, that's one of the big problems for Auckland is we've got such a big player base, we can't hold on to all of them. And uh, so hopefully, uh, with our recruiting and talent sort of spotting this, with our academy that they've put on the emphasis uh, in the last couple of years, we, we can keep hold of these players for the next few years. That's Brent Ward talking to Murray Williams. Julian Dean has been described as New Zealand's best ever road cyclist after completing his sixth Tour de France. The 35-year-old Dean had three podium finishes during the Tour. However, he was well down on general classification, which was won by the Spaniard Alberto Contador, his third Tour title. Julian Dean told Barry Guy that this year's Tour was without a doubt a career highlight. Started off a little bit difficult um, with the crash there early on, and you know, it took a week or so to overcome that injury. But um, you know, I was able to finish it off pretty well. Um, you know, a couple of good good stage results there. Um, so yeah, that was nice. Very very gratifying. Now you lost uh, Tyler, of course, uh, and you sort of became the sprinter in a way. Um, not too much, too difficult transition there for you to become sort of the the lead sprinter for your team. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't particularly easy. You know, we came here with an objective, and you know, I've spent many years, um, you know, assisting sprinters in the sprint without having too many opportunities for myself. Um, so yeah, with, when Tyler Tyler left, um, you know, I had to sort of change my game plan, change my um, you know thought process a little bit. Um, 
was in the sprint, but um, you know, managed to get a pretty good grip on it this last week and um, and did some good results. Um, I, I suppose this goes to show that uh, riding the Tour de France, um, I mean this in the kindest way, isn't really a young man's game, is it? No, not not particularly. Especially sprinting, especially is um, you know is, is not really uh, not really sort of faint-hearted and. You know, younger guys tend to be, you know, a little bit more aggressive and and a little bit more um, risk risk taking, I suppose. Um, but you know, old minds are also handy as well. Too early for you to sort of think too much uh, into the future next year, perhaps. Um, no, like you know, definitely, you know, at this stage, I want to continue for another week, another year. I think, you know, form wise, I've probably had my best Tour de France ever. So. Um, you know, you know, as long as I feel like I'm, I'm competitive and and can contribute something to an Tour de France, you know, I'm, I'm happy to keep racing. And your team, Garmin, must be happy with you. Yeah, definitely. You know, it was a very rough start for us. Like I said, you know, losing losing Tyler in the first week, and then Christian Vanderveld, our um, our GC rider for the overall, um, you know, lost him to a crash as well. But um, you know, the other guys have stepped up, and you know, everyone's contributed something to make it a wonderful tour of tour France for the team. So what, are you going to do the third classic uh, Spain, are you? Um, yeah, you know, I'll start that, um, but you know, I'm not going there with too many objectives. Now the focus switches to the World Championships in October, so um, first priority rest and then start preparing for that in October. So you must feel, competing against these guys, that uh, what that the world champs are in Melbourne, aren't they? That, you know, you, you, you'd be a good chance. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, you know, it's done wonders for my confidence, and you know, it's got me really focused um, and g'd up for the World Championships this year, and it's given me a real hope of, um, you know, if it comes down to a sprint finish, of, of uh, having a good result. And would you like to see, you know, the couple of guys that didn't make the tour this year, to, you know, a, quite a good New Zealand team to sort of work together at the World Champs? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think for the first time ever, um, you know, we've got a, a good cluster of New Zealand riders um, racing in the professional ranks. So, you know, you know, certainly we've got the possibility of doing something good um, at the World Championships. And would that flow on to the Commonwealth Games? Yeah, the you know the Commonwealth Games come pretty soon after um, the World Championships. So, um, you know, it won't be too much of an effort to carry that form over. That's Julian Dean talking with Barry Guy. And you're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. The Black Caps play Sri Lanka and India in a Tri-Series one-day competition in Sri Lanka in August, but they'll be without leading players Dan Vittori and Brendan McCullum, who are both on parental leave. McCullum, who's become a leading light on the 2020 scene and caused a sensation last summer with his audacious scoop shot, has just published a book called Inside 2020. I spoke to McCullum about his future in the game, and now that he's announced he's giving up the gloves in the Test Match Arena, it's also about that shot. It was designed because I was never really strong at hitting, um, I guess, back over the bowler's head, so I had to try and access an area somewhere else and try and go into that a little bit in the book as some of the, the strategies behind um, the some of the thinking in that as well. Are you working on other shots? Uh, no. no you, 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 haven't, you, haven't sort of got, you haven't got anything that you, you're sort of trying to come up with to... The next, no. whatever it might be. No, I think now like it's, it's so much of the ground is is already taken up. So um, yeah, I think if I can, I guess try and get better at the shots that I've got, um, then hopefully that would be good enough. Where do you see the game going? I mean, a lot's sort of being talked about with 
50 over cricket and whether that's even going to survive. Your, your views on that? Um, I, I think it will survive, mate. I think it could do with a tweak, there's no doubt in that, but I'd be very disappointed to see it disappear because I think um, at the moment we've got three three products we can take to the market and there's not too many sports that, that have that kind of uh, luxury and I think they can all feed off each other. Um, I think 2020 is obviously the, the new craze, but I think it's um, it's flowing on to the other forms of the game and we've seen those play with with uh, renewed enthusiasm and, and probably better skill in some areas as well. So um, uh, I'd be disappointed if, if one day cricket was to was to pass on. You talk about tweaking. I see the Australian domestic competitions obviously splitting it to the 25 and 25 and with designated hitters. Is that the kind of tweaking you, you're talking about? Or? Yeah, yeah. And I, to be honest, I don't have any, any real sort of concept of where the game should go. I just think it, it does need a slight improvement. Um, and, and something like that could be the, could be the thing. I guess we're we're going to be lucky enough to sit back and watch them watch them do it and see whether it uh, whether it works or not. Um, but I mean, maybe we could try something over here in our domestic comp as well and see see if there's new ways that, that we can um, try and I guess pioneer uh, one day cricket and, and move it forward. Which form of the game do you enjoy the most? I mean, everyone obviously talks about Test cricket being the the Test, but for sheer enjoyment, um, different different reasons. I like a healthy diet of all three. Um, 2020, I love 2020 um, because of everything about the game that that it brings. I think the ability to play in front of big crowds and and the the high impact, high intensity sort of nature of 2020. Um, I, I really enjoy that. I think that pushes boundaries that that um, that probably haven't been pushed before, and and you've got to try and keep up with the up with the speed. Um, one day cricket has its challenges. Um, I, I enjoy that too. But Test cricket, I think you succeed at Test cricket. It, it, it probably is a pinnacle. Um, but again, I think they will complement each other well. You've decided to, to give up the gloves uh, in Test match cricket. Where do you see yourself batting in the in the lineup now? Um, well, firstly, it was a tough decision to give up the gloves. Um, something I've always done. I've always been a wicketkeeper, um, and and to to lose one of your strings is, is going to put some real pressure on on me and on my game. And um, well, I'm excited by it. In all honesty, I think it's a real big challenge. I'm not saying I'm going to be successful, but I'm saying I'm going to give it everything I've got to try and be successful. And and I guess we'll, we've all just got to wait and see how that pans out. But I'd ideally love to bat in the top three because I think that's been a perennial problem for us in, in the past. And um, I wouldn't, I certainly um, wouldn't try and play like a, a conventional number three, a top three batsman. I think I'd try and play, um, stay true to myself and play aggressively. And I think we've seen it around the world some of the success that can be had if, with guys who believe in that style of play and, and believe in their own abilities. And I think the Saywags and Gales and... Dilshans and that of the world have sort of um, you know, carved that out. So hopefully I can try and tap into to some of that, um, I guess, past experience and try and um, get the most out of myself at the top of the order. And, and uh, hopefully that will allow us to try and, um, I guess, win some, win some more test matches because that's what we all want to try and do. I mean, it's obviously created a bit of debate, your decision. What has, have you talked about it with Mark Greatbatch? and the role as to where they might want you fitting in. Does that complement, I suppose, where they might want you to bat? Um, yeah, I was, look, I was under no illusions and, at the time and and was told and, um, as well that I'm going to have to justify a position in the team, whether I get first crack at it, um, Bangladesh, when, when the test matches, I'm not sure. Um, and that's that's one of the scary things. You leave a relatively safe haven of, of uh, batting down the order and having the gloves and, and being a regular in the team to to now no longer knowing but um, I think it's exciting and, and I think as providing I do get an opportunity I'll, I'll certainly be doing everything I can um, to, to try and make it work uh, look, it was I guess a 
controversial kind of moment when when it came out in the media about this sort of stuff was was starting to play out. But I think in the end, everyone's happy that it's come to the right resolution. Um, and you know, I couldn't keep doing everything forever. It just wasn't wasn't a viable option. I gave everything I could up to this point, and then something had to give. And um, I guess the good thing is I'm still incredibly excited and about the challenges that lie ahead in Test cricket as a as a as a new role. How's 2020 and the whole IPL changed your life? Um, well, it's different um, for me. It's I look at it as an isolated six weeks of the year where I go over, I try and do as well as what I possibly can in that environment, in, a, in an unreal environment. It's not reality. It's a, it's a completely different way of life when you come from New Zealand. Um, and so I go over there and I try and enjoy that as much as I can and try and get the re- put the put the scores on the board and get the rewards for it. And then then I come back and and I'm very much focused on the, on the rest of my real life and and trying to get on with that and and perform for New Zealand, be a husband and and be a father. And that's that's how I tried to separate it. I don't think you can allow the unreal um, life that is, uh, I guess, cricket in India to affect the rest of your life as well. What is it that about it the most? Is it the whole, almost the whole Hollywood, Bollywood yeah, style of thing? Yeah, it's a billion. It's a it's a population of a billion people who who's, uh, I guess, they're fanatical about about cricket. So you are treated in a uh, in a real sort of glitzy, glamorous kind of way and. Um, yeah, it's, as I said, it's not what we're used to. Um, and as long as you don't get carried away with it, it can be great fun for, for the six weeks you're over there. And um, Keeping in mind that you certainly have a job to do because you're, paying, you're getting paid well to do it as well. Financially, has it set you up more than you could have dreamt? Um, yeah, look, it, mate, it helps us. I don't, I don't play the game for financial reasons. Um, it's nice to be able to do well out of it and to get paid what you what you hopefully are worth. Um, but, you know, it's... It's not the be. It's not everything. It's for me. It's um. It's definitely given me a head start. It's definitely helped out. Um. But look, there's a lot of industries around the world where where people get paid um get paid good money and, and allows them to still express their their passions for what they're trying to do. What would you've done if you weren't a cricketer? Probably be a jockey, mate. Riding the last <laughs> at Winger Two or something. My ambition and dream is always to play cricket for New Zealand, and I've been fortunate enough to. To have had a, a reasonable career so far, and and still be around to, to try and improve it. So, um, who knows what what will happen after that? But at the moment, I'm just trying to enjoy what I'm doing. Do you see yourself going into coaching or anything in the future? Come the end of your playing days? To be honest, no, I don't. Not it's not something I'm sort of trying to look at at the moment. It's um, got a lot that I want to achieve, um, and and very much focused on on trying to make sure I can I can put all my energies into into being successful at those things. Mm. I was talking with Brendan McCullum. The New Zealand men's hockey team's about to play in the Champions Trophy tournament in Germany, which is generally reserved for the top six nations in the world. New Zealand qualified after winning the Champions Challenge tournament late last year. New Zealand's best finish at the competition is fourth, which they achieved in 1978, but they've only played it once since then in 2004 when they were sixth. Phil Burrows, the captain, is closing in on 250 caps for the Black Sticks. He told Joe Porter that their build-up in Europe, which has included matches in Belgium and France, has certainly helped their preparation. It's good to um, play lesser opponents before you lead into a, to a challenge like that, just to get some good flow and um, you know getting some good attacking opportunities and making sure you're not getting you know, bogged down and, and you know getting really dealt to. So um, I think we've had great preparation and we just have to be ready for the top nations. I mean, a lot of us have... We've got a highly experienced team, so we've played these nations before. Just to be, um, you know, make sure that we're ready to go on Saturday. Otherwise, um, you know, we don't want to be don't want to be chasing the game the whole whole week.
Hayden Shaw and Simon Childs are back in the side, so it must must be nice having some experienced players come back into the side to sort of share that wealth of knowledge with the, the youth that you have in the squad. Yeah, for sure, and um, of course what they bring to the team, which is um, which is goals, and you know you've got to have some good goal scoring ability to win games, and and we're definitely going to need that firepower for um, for next week when we start the game. So yeah, really um, good to have them back. You're the lowest-ranked team at the tournament coming up at the Champions Trophy, but these results have been pleasing. You must have a sense of confidence running through the squad heading into the tournament. Yeah, for sure. We know we're going to be um, tested next week, but, uh, but I think we've, um, we've grown as a team in the last couple of weeks, and uh, we're looking uh, quite comfortable and ready to start the uh, tournament the survey. Um, you know, you're going to, any game you play next week is going to be a tough game, so... I guess um, it doesn't matter who you play first. You've just got to be up for everything because um, you know there's some good teams there. But on our day, we're also a good team. So looking forward to a successful week. Is your first game against Australia at the Champions Trophy? Yeah, I think we go through the rankings. So we play the first-ranked team, second, third, fourth, fifth. I think that's how it works for us during the week. So yeah, we're straight in the deep end. But um, we've played them enough times, and you know we know that they're a, they're a very attacking side, very aggressive. So we're, we're hoping just to um, frustrate them for you know a good period of time and um, we have to put in a really solid defensive effort. We have to make sure that we don't give them any room to move and when they do apply pressure, we've got to be very calm and patient make sure we're providing options to, to get the ball out of there because um, they'll, they'll set up right on top of us and any time you receive a ball, there'll be an Australian guy, maybe two, maybe sometimes three right on your back. So it just has to be nice and calm when we move the ball around. But, but also... Um, you know, we have to put pressure on them. We can't just sit back and let them let them dictate terms. So um, I'm sure we'll be right in their face, giving them a good fight. Commonwealth Games, obviously, this year as well. I'm assuming that England and Australia will both be at that tournament. Obviously, it gives you guys a, an early look at how they're performing and how they're treading coming into the Commonwealth Games. Is that obviously a bo- an added bonus of this tournament? Yeah, for sure. I think um, I think we've actually got England in our pool, so yeah, it's a really uh, big bonus to to get um, get some looks at them as well and get some video. So we'll get five or six games of video of both those teams. So that'll be great leading into the Commonwealth Games, especially with um, England, who's got a quite a good, decent drag flick. Just you know, knowing how he flicks and where he flicks is always good for our goalkeepers to note. So we'll be jotting down plenty of information from um, this week for the Com Games. And in terms of preparation for the Commonwealth Games, do you see this tournament as a stepping stone towards that? Or, I mean, are you trying to peak for the Commonwealth Games? Do you peak now and then sort of ease off a bit and try and peak again? How does that work? It would be good to peak for both. Um, I'm sure we're, we're, you know, we're going to be putting in a big effort next week, but also we know Commonwealth Games are so very important. And, and, and this, um, this tournament's great for us, great preparation. You know, we're going to get six tough games and the experience the players are going to gain for the Commonwealth Games is great because we all have weaker opponents at the Com Games. Not saying they're all going to be weak, but there are definitely some weaker opponents there. So this is just perfect for um, preparation for the for the Com Games also. And at the Commonwealth Games, you guys are eyeing, obviously eyeing up a, a medal finish. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think we'd be quite disappointed if we didn't um, finish the medals in the Com Games with the experienced team we have. So um, yeah, we're definitely aiming for a medal there. Is it hard when you're focusing on, on such a big tournament like the Champions Trophy and, and building your fitness and your, your team preparations up to such an event to then sort of once it's all over and once the, the dust is settled to then sort of refocus and reinvigorate towards what is the ultimate goal of a gold medal at the Commonwealth Games? As a hockey player, um, you know, we're known for playing the whole year so we don't really have a break so we're quite used to peaking and then and having a break and then peaking again so it's not a big thing because most of us play all year round. We play our New Zealand stuff and then we go home and we're 
most guys are contracted overseas somewhere, so we're pretty used to playing the whole year round and just have to make sure we look after our bodies so they're peaking right and we've got plenty of um, background for that. So we've got plenty of trainers back home and putting in programs in, in place so um, that we trust that they can get us peaking in the right times. That's New Zealand hockey captain Phil Burrows talking to Joe Porter. The first swimmer to conquer Cook Strait, Barry Devonport, has died in Australia. He was 75 and had battled cancer for the past year and a half. In November 1962, Devonport took just over 11 hours to swim from north to south with a support crew from Wellington's Wursa Bay Surf Club. His first attempt at the Cook Strait crossing eight months earlier was unsuccessful and he was plucked from the water, shivering and semi-conscious, less than two kilometres from the finish. But almost 48 years ago, just after 7pm on November the 20th, he succeeded. He's touched Barry Devonport of the Wursa Bay Surf Club. Well, there you are. There's the cheers from the boys on board the Christina. Barry Devonport of the Wursa Bay Surf Club becomes the first man to conquer Cook Strait. And what a moment it is. He's climbing up on the rocks. I bet he's exhausted. That's Barry Devonport, the first swimmer to conquer Cook Strait. Devonport died this week in Australia at the age of 75. That's the show for this week, and remember you can get the latest sports news anytime on our website, and we'll be back with the next web-only edition of Extra Time next week. I'm Stephen Hewson. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.